We're looking today at Galatians chapter 4. Tonight we're going to look at a city. We normally do that Wednesday, but I thought just for a change of pace, we'll have the Sunday night folks see what we do on Wednesdays. We're going to look at the city of Dan. Not because that's my name, but uh, that's a great city to look at tonight. We have 50 slides for you to see, and you'll learn about this Bible city. And so be here tonight. I already mentioned that. But uh, did you know it's bad luck to believe in superstition? <laughs> I read that this week. I thought that's interesting. Did you know the word gullible is not in the dictionary? You go home and look that up. I heard about this pastor that had a friend who was a lawyer. He said, what do you do when you make a mistake in a court case? He said, well, if it's small, I don't worry about it. But if it's big, I try and correct it. Hold on. My one hair is being blown in all those directions. It's cold enough in here, isn't it? All right. You don't know many pastors that go and adjust the air during, during their message, but I'm, I'm a unique guy. I'm sorry. Uh, I remember I was preaching at a church one time, and as I walked down the hall, they had a big TV ministry. It said, don't touch your belt, don't adjust your tie, don't scratch your head. All these rules, I thought, I'd break every one of those. So I'm sure the broadcast would be marred with me on it. But anyway, this minister's talking to this lawyer, this pastor, and the lawyer said, if it's small, I forget it. If it's big, I correct it. And he said, well, I kind of, I, I understand. He said, well, what do you do? He said, I do kind of the same thing. The other day, he said, I mistakenly said that the devil's the fa father of all lawyers. I, I meant to say he's the father of all liars, but I said lawyers. He said, so I just forgot about it. Uh, my cousin's an attorney, and he said he works for Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So anyway, Galatians chapter 4. Paul is writing this book to rebuke the Judaizers' doctrine. They taught a false doctrine. We don't get to heaven by any other means but by the way of the cross. And uh, it's a great song. We'll talk about that later. But we get to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so we understand that we've been hammering this theme home because the Judaizers taught that you had to be circumcised to keep the law. So he's rebuking them and he's rebuking the Gentile Galatians, predominantly a Gentile church and churches, for believing that kind of a doctrine. Paul and Barnabas had a stake in this. They had traveled uh, to uh, Galatia, the province of Galatia, and, and met with these Gauls and all these different churches. Gauls were the people of Galatia. And he had started churches there. And so they really had, you know, a stake in this. And at the time of Paul's traveling, it was his first missionary journey when he started the church. And on his third, he wrote this book from a different city, either Achaia or Corinth, to Galatia. And so he's writing them to rebuke them. Today, this is what we know as southern Turkey. In Paul's day, it was a part of a, the Roman province. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He wrote this about 55 years after the duration of Christ. As we look at chapter 4, we're going to just read four verses. Now I say, remember in chapter 3, he said this I say. Now I say that the hair, the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, master of all, but is under the tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. 
But, I love this word, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. God bless us as we look at these 11 verses today. Help us, God, to just glean some handfuls on purpose for our lives. We know you've given us plenty on purpose. God, hide me behind the cross that I'll say what you'd have me to say. Not what I want to say, but specifically what you'll have me to say. Bless us now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we notice here uh, a child in the first four verses. We'll also notice in the text three total, a child, a slave, and an heir. And we'll notice the difference in each. But the definite article is used here, the word the, the heir. And the heir, by law, all sons were heirs. And it was important to be an heir, especially to be the firstborn, because you get the double inheritance. And we all know the prodigal son. We all know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, so he'd get double. And, of course, he sold out for a, a, pot of, a, a bowl of pottage, which was soup, not porridge. That's the three bears. But a, a bowl of pottage, a bowl of soup, and sold out his, his position as firstborn to Jacob. And he was hungry, and Jacob took advantage of that. By law, as I said, sons were heirs, and by law, heirs, uh, or slaves were, were the property of heirs, but slaves a lot of times ended up being heirs because their owner loved them so much, he'd, he'd include them as heirs. But here he's talking about a minor child, a child that's below the age, the age of an adult in the Bible is 20. That'd solve a lot of our argument over rifles, just raise the age two years like the Bible. But, but a child under 20, the, the Bible teaches, is not an adult. And here he's talking about a, a child. And it says here, he doesn't differ, verse 1. Uh, he doesn't differ. A, a child doesn't differ uh, from a slave because he's under a guardian. A child couldn't receive his inheritance until he became of age. They were often under others' authority. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 quickly. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm going to read you these verses. If you don't get there quickly, you'll miss this, but you can just listen. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken after. He was a type of servant, verse 6. But Christ as a son. Now, we know Moses really was a servant. And he's a great type of what a servant should be. And Jesus Christ really is a son. He's called the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of God, the son of man. Uh, we know he is a son. And what a great type. And so sons and servants are found all through Scripture. But here, what he's saying is, is, is that a son is not really an heir until he matures and gets to a certain point of age. Paul, remember, told Philemon when his slave Onesimus had run away, and he said, when you receive him back, receive him as a son. Not just as a slave, but as a son. He's now your equal. He's a child of God. And I like that a son has a father, but a servant may not. A son has a fortune, a servant does not. A son has a future, a servant does not. And so we need to understand that we were at one time servants or slaves to sin. And the Gentiles were slaves to these false gods and Jews were slaves to, to the law. But then as you get to know the Lord, you, you're no longer a slave we, of the law. You're eventually a, a slave of the Lord. We're bought with a price. We belong to him. 
The difference is he gives us liberty. He's the most loving master you could have because he gives you all the liberty you need in life. We have the freedom to live lives the way we love to live. Without sin, we're not supposed to sin, but we have so much liberty in Christ. But a minor child was really the same as a servant until he reached adulthood. And there's a parallel here. Israel, a parallel. Israel was accountable because they had finally understood the law was a schoolmaster. They were God's chosen and they had this idea that they were really special people and they were. But when the law was given to Moses after the 430 years in Egypt, they needed to understand something. They're far from the glory of God. They're far from God without understanding the law and knowing the Messiah of the Old Testament. And just for us, we are accountable as we learn to understand that we're sinners. A child has to understand that God is real and that God exists. I remember as a Boy Scout back before they went awry, I guess, and I'd go to Boy Scout meetings and I remember laying out one time and looking at the stars and saying, wow, there has to be a God. I saw on the on TV, the telescope, and they showed that all the thousands of stars they could see with the more uh, updated telescopes. And I thought, isn't that awesome to see that? And, and, and what is man that thou art mindful of him? These people, I heard someone on TV saying, yeah, we're going to find life on other planets. And I thought, the Bible says the earth hath he made for mankind. There's not life out there. Demonic life, angelic life, yes, but there are not, there's not another planet out there with people on it. Don't believe that. The Bible says the earth he made specifically for mankind. If we just believe the Bible, we wouldn't pour millions of dollars in trying to find people out there. You know? I mean, I'm thankful for space and I'm thankful for technology and we're thankful for all the things we have because of space and technology. And maybe we'll have to have missiles out there to protect us. I don't know. But I know this. God says he made this place for mankind. People don't want to just trust the word of God, and I'm getting way off the subject, but we know that this is a place where mankind lives. But when I realized there was a God, and when I finally realized I was a sinner, all of a sudden I became what's called accountable. Now I've realized there's a God, and I realize I'm a sinner, and then I would go to church and hear about Jesus and understand that he died for my sin. Amen. And finally you have to say, Lord Jesus, save me from my sin. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize you exist. But we're, we're accountable as we learn that we're sinners. And as long as a person stays under the law, he says here in verse 1, and the first four verses really, he says, as long as people choose to stay under the law, they're not claiming their inheritance, their spiritual inheritance. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace through faith. Love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. 8, 9. For by grace he is saved through faith. I'm thankful for that. We're saved by faith in the Lord. And the prodigal son we mentioned earlier received his inheritance and he went out and blew it all. Of course, I love how he came back and his dad said, welcome home, son. I love that about God. But you know, a child is not master. He has to wait until the time of accountability. Now, verse 2 says here, but he is under tutors, or under tutors and under governors. Tutors, remember, had authority over people. Governors had authority over property. And this word translated governors is translated in Romans 16, Chamberlain. It's translated Luke, Stuart. The words, the Greek words mean house law. 
So they're over everything. And a child is under these tutors. He's under these, these uh, stewards. He's under these tutors and governors until he reaches an age of maturity. And notice the progression here in, in this verse. A child in verse 1, an heir, and finally master or Lord. We progress as we come closer to God and we understand our accountability and then we understand our heirship and our authority. In verse 3, he says, even so. So now here's a spiritual analogy here. We believers like Paul and the Galatians were children who didn't know the Messiah. The Galatians were adults maybe, but they did not quite understand until the gospel was preached. That's where our responsibility comes in. We are responsible. How shall they hear without a preacher, Paul says. Think of Paul, who was a child, according to this passage, until he was saved. Here's a man who thought, well, I'm a second generation Pharisee. He was probably on the Sanhedrin Council. Later, we know he wrote 14 books of the Bible. He was taught under the great Gamiel, and he was doing the right thing, he thought, by killing Christians because they were heretics, and the law said to kill the heretics. So here he is. He's so self-righteous, but he was lost. He did not understand his sin until the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're sinning, Saul. You're a sinner. And he said, who is it, Lord? And then we know the great conversion. But see, there are a lot of people who may have a lot going for them that think they don't need God because they're educated or smart or live a good life. But we're not saved by works. We're not saved by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So verse 3, he gives this analogy. And we were under the elements, it says here. Under the elements, verse 3. A word here that's translated in Hebrews 5.12, principles. It's also translated rudiments in Colossians twice. The Greek word is used seven times in your Bible. A guy by the name of Packer says it speaks of worldly elements. In other words, astronomical angels and, and hosts of Satan's heavens. Isn't that something? Satan's a prince in power of the air. Think of that. We know this word can have a twofold meaning. Another writer talks about that, how that... This word elements can refer to these, these angelic beings that we were under. It can refer to simple things in this life. But, but believers or, or unbelievers are all under something other than God's authority because they're lost. And here it says here, uh, the elements, verse 3, the last line of the world. That word world, interesting word. You know the word, it's the word cosmos. We get our word cosmetics from it. Did you know that? It's translated in 1 Peter 3, 3, adornment. We always joke and say, you know, a little makeup's good, ladies. A little paint never hurts the old barn. You know, of course, that's a joke. Uh, but a little too much is uh, a little too much. You know, you see people and they have so much makeup on, you're like, whoa. And the Bible said, don't over-adorn because people don't see your inward beauty. They don't see who you are. They wonder who's underneath all of that. And, and so the word cosmos, cosmetics, originally it had to do with the divine order, the order of things, the order of the world. And originally the world's order was perfect, wasn't it? 
till the fall of mankind. Now what does it say? James says, love not the cosmos, love not the world, neither the things of the world. Because now that arrangement's all messed up. We can't look at the zodiac for direction anymore. That ended when Jesus came. They knew about the star and followed the star, but when Jesus came, that ended. It's going to happen again, Joel says, in the tribulation period. Strange things are going to happen. But we, we, we're not under that anymore. We're under the Lord. But look at verse 4. Uh, it says we're under humans. We're under hosts, these elements. And then it goes on to say Jesus was made under the law, under the handwritten ordinances. I, I love that phrase, made under the law. It means uh, to come into being by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, not the seed of man, but by the Holy Spirit. And, and, he's, and when, when it says, when here, according to the fullness of time, who the Son, how? The virgin birth. Why? To redeem us. Jesus' purpose was to redeem us, and he came in the fullness of time. I love the timing of Scripture. Everything is on God's calendar. I have a calendar. Not everything goes according to plan. But did you know God's calendar won't be adjusted because of our mistakes and our stupidity? He has a plan. He knows the day you will die. My brother said one time, well, you're always, uh, you know, you're fighting this thing and eating. What are you worried about? God knows the day you're going to die. You're not going to change it by eating or not eating. I said, well, I'll tell you what, my quality of life, I want to be good. I don't want to have a foot amputated. That's tough stuff. So that's why I fight it, but I don't do very well sometimes. I eat plenty and, and blow it plenty, but I talk about that enough, but you understand. It's quality of life, but, but we, we, can't, we can't make adjustments in God's calendar. Even when Samson pulled the pillars down and committed suicide, he was in the hall of faith. He was a man of God in the hall of faith, but he, he went amok, didn't he? And he pulled those pillars down. God knew the very day he'd do that. Isn't that something? You can't change God's calendar. I love all the prophetic fulfillment, how that Daniel and Isaiah talk about Cyrus years and years before he's born, and how the 70 weeks of Daniel we learned in, in chapter 9, how awesome that is. Upon thy people, that's 70 weeks for the Jews, and 69 weeks have been fulfilled. The last week is the tribulation period. That's for the Jews to get saved. They're going to see miraculous signs in the planets and the prophets, and they're going to be saved then. But it was exactly 49 years from the decree of Cyrus, decree of Cyrus, until the completion of the building. And it was exactly 434 more years from that date until Jesus rode into the very day on Palm Sunday. And that 69 weeks of, uh, of 490, 483 years has been completed. One more week of years we're waiting on that Jewish calendar. But isn't it amazing how everything lines up, makes sense, happens right on time. And just like Jesus came, just in time. He came just in time. I love that. He came for me. To redeem them, verse 5 says... Uh, we're talking about a child and, and now an heir. To redeem them, verse 5, uh, you know, those under the law, under the Mosaic system. You say, preacher, you preach the law. I do. But we're no longer under the Mosaic system. Not just the handwritten ordinances that were nailed to the cross, but we don't even have to observe their holidays and feast days. We can. We have the right to do that. Got a call yesterday from someone who said they wanted to ask me about Sunday being the Lord's Day. Why do we worship on Sunday? 
And I said, well, historically, you can trace it back. Historians and church history teachers will tell you it goes back to the time of Christ. We also know that 1 Corinthians says that on the first day of the week, we gather and we lay in stores, God hath prospered. I said, but the most important thing is the greatest doctrine in all the Bible took place on that day. And on that day, the resurrection day, Jesus met with his 12 and commissioned them to start the church. So that's why we do that. But we're not under the Sabbath. But do you know it'd be okay to have church on the Sabbath? It'd be okay to have church Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We wouldn't have many here for seven nights, but it'd be okay. In fact, we can worship God anytime at any place. But the Sunday's the Lord's Day. It's a day set aside for us to remember the resurrection. C.H. Spurgeon said every day is Resurrection Sunday. So he says to redeem them from under law. And Gentiles, by the way, were responsible for the law as well to obey the law. You say, really? Yes. Ignorance is no excuse. Well, God gave his chosen people the oracles of God. The Gentiles would still be held accountable. Well, if you get pulled over and you're driving and the officer says you just you just broke the law and it's a law you never heard of, a, a law you can't understand, he'd say, I'm sorry. There's no excuse. You're still responsible. You could say to him, well, I took my driver's test. That wasn't wanting on there. I went to driving school and that wasn't on there. He'd say, I'm sorry, it's the law. It's the law. And the Gentiles were under the law. But notice in verse 5, he says here, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's fascinating to me to study the history of adoptions. Did you know a Jewish boy, even though he's a physical child, he would have to go through a process, a ceremony of adoption to receive his heirship? Isn't that interesting? Now, we're born into the family of God and we're also adopted. So we got the legal right to be heirs by our adoption. But to me, it was interesting that they're born and they're, they're actually adopted. And until that child became of age, he couldn't receive his inheritance. Had to go through the ceremony. Now, verse 6. Notice in verse 6. It says here, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your heart. Isn't that interesting? God sent the spirit into your heart. When you became a child of God, he sent the spirit there. As part of the Trinity, the spirit of God lives in you. Romans 8, 9 says, if any man, woman, boy or girl, hath not the spirit... He doesn't belong to God. If any man hath not the Spirit, he's none of his. That's what it says. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not part of God's family. He sent the Spirit into your heart. Look in the last part of verse 6. The Spirit speaks. It says, he's crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. That Abba is Aramaic for Daddy. Father, Father, Daddy, Father. And the Spirit puts that love for God in you to cry out to him. So the Spirit speaks. And I love the fact that John 14, 16 says the Spirit abides with us forever. God sent the Spirit into our hearts and he abides with us how long? Forever. You say, what if I mess up? Forever. He's always going to be there because you've trusted the Lord. And he's our witness as Romans law required a witness. But here, pick up in verse 7 now, believers were free from their guardians. Uh, these handwritten ordinances, uh, because of Christ, they're no longer a servant, but a son and an heir. So here, they were, a, they were child and heir. And now look at verse 8. It says here, now they're a slave. When they should be lord of all, they choose to go back and be slaves. 
Paul was just broken by this. In fact, in the last verse we're going to talk about today, in verse 11, Paul says, I have a great fear, and he uses the word phobia here. I have a great fear that everything I've done for you is in vain. I gave you the gospel and you trusted the Lord and he sent the spirit into your hearts and you didn't receive, you know, you didn't re- receive your inheritance by, by the, 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 the works of the law, but by the spirit. You didn't receive it by anything but, uh, other than faith and grace. And now you're going back and want to be circumcised and obey the, the Judaizers teaching. I, I have a great fear, verse 11, that you're, you're, that you're going to just turn away from the truth. So we have slaves here. Look at verse 8. It says here in verse 8, <clears throat> Howbeit, then when ye knew not God. This is a word referring to head knowledge. You knew not God. Ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. He said you were under these false titles. You, you, didn't, you didn't know of God even in your head. You didn't even understand the concept. He's talking to the Galatians. That's the same as the Jews. The Jews thought they knew God. The Galatians didn't know God. They didn't even think they knew God. They didn't know him intellectually. They didn't really understand anything about God. It's always amazing to share the gospel with someone who's never heard. That's what these people were. But now, he says, I love the little phrase, but now, but now, you know God, and he knows you. He says, you're known of God, and this is a complete knowledge. You've known God and you're known of God, he says in verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known of God, you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. Why after you've known God and experienced with God and he knows you, would you go back to these beggarly poor elements? This, this weakness it's translated in Romans, those without strength. This weakness, people without strength. And this impoverished is what the word means, this poor, bigger elements. Why would you go back and be servants to the law when you've known God? Do you know what? We talk about the Jews and the Judaizers and going back. But what do we do? We get saved and we go back to our old sin. And we continue to live under the servitude of sin. And we don't have to. We're free. We're better and bigger than that. We're children of God. We're saints. We're heirs. We're righteous. We're justified. There's no reason to go back and live like that. Verse 10, Jews had influenced them, obviously. They were keeping these special days says you observe days and months and times and years. They were getting caught up in all the Jewish festivals and festivities and feasts and fasts and all that. And while it would be okay for us to observe those things, they were under those things, believing that was now what they had to do. And I think some of those holidays are awesome when you think of Hanukkah and all those different days that they, that they celebrate and worship. They're pretty cool. It'd be interesting to learn all about those. I've studied it. Maybe one day we'll talk about some of those, but we're not under those. Our big celebration is the resurrection. That's our big day. That's our big day. And he says here in verse 10, you observe these days and times and years. They didn't need to. I have a little quote here. Worship without wisdom is worthless. 
Worship without wisdom is worthless. Do you know how many people try to worship God today, but they don't know God? You see, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. People who worship God and don't know God are wasting their time. It's worthless. And if we don't know him, we're wasting our time today. You're wasting your time in church today if you don't know God. You have never worshiped God until, you, until you're a born again child of God. But these people had gone back, wanted to listen to the Judaizers. They were Galatians. Why would they want to go and listen to these Jews who were giving them something different than what Paul had taught them? And this just crushed Paul. I think of all the things in verses five to seven. We, we're redeemed, we're adopted, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're children and we're heirs. All that in those three little verses. All those promises. We adopted our daughter and she was in an orphanage. We had never seen her. And we had a lady that placed 300 babies into homes. And I know I've told you about my daughter before, but pray for her. She needs to get back to God. God gave her an opportunity with adoption. She's been saved, but she needs to live for God. Not doing anything real bad, but she's not living right. And you know what? He that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him it is sin. She texts me almost every day. I love you, Dad. But she knows I want her to read her Bible and get active in church. But anyway, I remember we didn't know what she'd look like. We were told that uh, they found a baby in this orphanage that her mother wanted her to be in our family. And I remember uh, the lady brought her to, flew to Okinawa and handed her to my wife. And my wife handed her to me and I looked at her. And I thought, she looks like a little Buddha. She had a little belly. She had a bald head. And I put her on my shoulder and said, welcome home, darling. Just fell in love with her, you know. I had never seen her. She could have had a cleft palate. She could have had a, a, not had all her limbs. We didn't ask those questions. And I was reading a great story here. And I thought this was great. This family with means, that means plenty of money, wanted to adopt a child and they went to an orphanage. And the orphanage director heard they were coming, so he got all his kids, he pushed them to get all cleaned up, get their best clothes on, get ready, look good and all that. And he marched them all out there, but there was one in back that wasn't ready, always the one who would always look bad and be bad and just, you know, really dirty and, and always. So he just said, just, you're not ready. Let's all go out there. And the, the people came in and looked over all these beautiful children and said, no, we just don't feel any of these would be what we're looking for. And the orphan's director said, I got one more back there, but uh, you know, well, let's, let's look at him. And as soon as they saw him, that's the one they wanted. You know why? That child needed him. You know, God adopted me. You know why? I needed to be adopted. He saw me worthless, a sinner, without hope, without strength, lost in my sin. And he chose me. Chose me. I think of the cross. Where's Janet? Did she, is she in here somewhere? She went out okay. I was going to have Janet come and sing. You see, I thought about the way of the cross. And I thought about <clears throat> where would I be without the Lord? Without the cross. 
I wouldn't be standing here today. I, I wouldn't have gone to Bible college. I, I, I wouldn't have been, I wasn't that great of a dad, but I wouldn't have been a dad at all. Where would you be without the Lord? When was the last time you just said, thank you, Lord? I love that little chorus I can't sing, but thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. That's our Lord. Without him, you'd be in bad shape. Why? You may have money. You may be healthy, but without the Lord, your soul would be marred for hell. And, and thank God for Jesus because he made it all possible. I asked Janet to sing today and uh, maybe she's not feeling well, but I want her to come and sing the song that, that the Lord laid on my heart this week. It's the song she sings so well about by the way of the cross. And so if Bryce has tracked her down or found her, maybe she got scared. No, I don't think she'd do that. You guys have the tape and the t now the sound people are gone. It's not a partial rapture. I'm here. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to just cancel that. But if Janet comes in, I'd like her to sing that for us. But let's bow in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know what I'd do without you, but thank you for saving me, for adopting me, for giving me all the things this text has said you've given me. You've redeemed me. You've adopted me. Oh, Lord, you've been so good to me, and you're good all the time. Thank you for my salvation and all the blessings you bestowed upon me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to our invitation, Brother Harold. Thank you.